0: As you're heading back, uh, just a point of clarification on the uh, prayer and worship night, it's not tonight, it's actually February 16th. All right. Yeah, the Super Bowl is today, so of course we couldn't do worship and prayer, because, you know. Uh, But uh, it's on your bulletin there if you want to circle it. It's uh, February 16th will be the worship and prayer night. Okay? So uh, you saw a slideshow, kind of the journey that we've been on. And we recognize that in the end, it really comes down to people and people ultimately meeting Jesus, people ultimately meeting Jesus and being placed into the church. But even as part of the church, you know, we've been talking a lot about sanctification and Jesus simply said, follow me. And as you follow him, he changes you as you apply the word, as you grow Right? In so many different ways, we go into sanctification, even using the church, those around us in our sanctification process. And I was thinking about the significance of today, 10 years into this journey as a church. Right? I go back all the way to those pictures in Cindy's um, den, living room. And, you know, it it was amazing that the church was birthed out of. Kind of a, a tumultuous time here in the valley. And um, I had left the church that I was at and didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and as we were seeking the Lord, uh, my wife and I, for the direction for our, our next stop, um, you know, we didn't know if we were going back to San Diego. We didn't know if we were going to go somewhere else in the country. Uh, one of the things that really touched my heart and our heart was that there were several uh, of our brothers and sisters in Christ that hadn't plugged into other churches. And we're just kind of out there. And so we said, well, you know, I talked to Cindy. Hey, why don't we just do a Bible study? Why don't we just get the church together? You know, we were kind of bummed that, that people weren't connecting and some people were drifting away from church and, you know, that's going to impact your walk with the Lord. And so uh, one Saturday night we said, hey, let's have a potluck, bring some food and um, let's just get together for worship and a Bible study. And, you know, it started from 10 or 12 and went to twenty, thirty, forty, 40 and really started to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Is this more than a Bible study? You know the neighbors wondering about all the cars showing up in the (laughs) cul-de-sac every Saturday night. And and it was really at that point that we felt it was God was calling us to start a church. I wasn't even sure. I, I talked to several of the pastors that I respected in the valley, some of the brothers that I respected in the valley and said, hey, this is this is what I think God might be calling us to do. I'm not sure. What do you think? I, I appreciate your counsel. And I, I really wanted the counsel of the other senior pastors at that time. And, and it meant a lot that they unanimously said, okay, yeah, we support you. We'll be praying for you. And it was a huge step of faith to become, a, you know, an official church, not knowing that 10 years later we would be here. That, that's just mind-boggling, mind-boggling to me. And, and in many ways, you know, it was a get-out-of-the-boat moment. And at times you want to jump back in the boat. Um, It's been a a lot of years of celebration, but also, quite honestly, a lot of years of heartache. You know, one of the challenging things when you're called to full-time ministry is the shepherding component. And, you know, I I heard the the, uh, oohs and ahs as certain faces showed up, right? Um, Some of them celebrating that they're with the Lord. Others, you know, we went through some tough times together and we laughed and we cried together. Um, but that's just doing life. That's just doing life. And uh, that's really what the church is. And, and all of its, you know, like celebration, it gets pretty messy sometimes because life is messy. And and as much as we try to, you know, give you a really comfortable place and keep the temperature just right and it's clean and there's always donuts, it's like amazing, right? You're like, why doesn't my house look like this? <laughs> Like, seriously, I'm like, wow, we keep the church, like, and it's intentional. Uh, but we also recognize that that this is a place of safety and security, and we want it to be. That's why we're very, uh, you know, there's a roadmap every Sunday. We try to not be constricting but the, the, the formal liturgy, if you want to call it that, the roadmap that we have here, how clean it is. We know that you go through a lot in your weeks, and your life is like this a lot of times. For a lot of reasons and one of our heart are just since since day one has been to give you a place that you kind of know is consistent and in the craziness and the tumultuousness of life you can come here on a Sunday and you know what you're gonna get yeah. uh, when the when the Thomas fire came through and a lot of people had evacuated we were debating we, we, we as a leadership team we said are we gonna do service we know like half the valley over three-quarters of the valley is gone you know, and it still smelled like smoke. And we were wondering, is anyone even going to show up? Right? And we chose no. No, we're going to have service, same time. Well, are we going to do a special service? No. We're just going to do service. Just like we always do. And it was really a blessing after the fact. Had a conversation with someone who came. And they, they literally said this, you know, they said, I wasn't sure I was going to come. Because I didn't know what was going to happen today. And she said, I was so thankful that you did it the way you always do it. Because in the craziness of the evacuation, in the craziness of everyone's the upheaval, they came and experienced through church stability, a reminder that God's on the throne. Mm-hmm. For the time that they were here, they were like, okay. And there's that, that, that. Familial we component uh, to doing life together that we try very hard to to maintain around here, and and we're not perfect. We step on toes, you know. We all of that comes with the territory. Um, And so, in the midst of this church family, we also recognize that it comes down to individual stories, individual stories of how you even got here today. Think about that. How did you get here? Isn't that crazy? Like, think back, not 10 years, think 20 years, think maybe 10 weeks, 10 days. How how did you get here at 1049 a.m. on February 2nd, 2020? How did you even get here to sit in a church? How many of you think that's kind of crazy, knowing where you come from? Like, oh, great, great, right? (laughs) Ten years ago, someone would say, hey, ten years from now, you're going to be sitting in a church. (laughs) You would have thought they were nuts, right? And we're here, and we all have our individual stories. And this morning, as I was thinking about where we are as a church and the significance of this particular Sunday, I thought of the story that's really the basis for that big sign out front called the well, right? In John 4, uh, Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, at Jacob's well, And and I want to walk us through that, and and we can learn a lot. If you're new, it'll help you understand why we're called the well. Uh, It's going to speak to us about even reaching others with the gospel. And maybe it'll even speak to you about your story with Jesus, wherever you are, that it's not done. Maybe for some of you, you're going to start today. Maybe for some of you, it's going to be a great encouragement to keep staying the course, right? Uh, so the story, you know, it's interesting, John 4, it's a long story, John 1 through 42. So we're not, you know, it's way beyond putting it up on the, up on the screen. So I encourage you, grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't bring one, you can look at, borrow one of those in the rows before you. I'm going to read a passage and part of the story and we'll chat a little bit about it. It's in John 4, starting in verse 1. Okay. John 4, starting in verse 1, it says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, It was about the sixth hour. So, you know, sometimes you read this initial description, and, and if you're not familiar with uh, Israel, it's kind of like, okay, I'm already lost. So let me give you a little, let me, let me help you out a little bit. So Jesus is in the south in Judea, and circumstances come up that says, hey, let's go north to Galilee, okay? In the middle is the area of Samaria, and, and right there that uh, Sukkar, the, the city right there in the purple, that's where all of this takes place at a place called Jacob's Well. Now, they say that Jesus probably walked uh, about 20 miles, maybe up to 20 miles this day, and it got, he got there the sixth hour, noontime, according to the Jewish timeline, that would be noon. Uh, some versions, sometimes you're reading about this story, and they say 6 p.m. The reason the 6 p.m. might come up is they're using Roman time. But most commentators go by Jewish time, so it's like noon. So Jesus has gone from the south, He's gone up to the middle there. It's about noon, and the Bible says he's just tired. He's walked about 20 miles. If you've seen Israel, it's wilderness. It's not paved roads. You know, it's desert. It's terrain. You're going up and down. So he gets there about noon, okay? And it's very interesting. In verse 4, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's really interesting because look on the map. He's trying to get from the green to the green. And that verse says he he had to pass through Samaria. That's that's a really interesting verse because the Jews and the Samaritans who lived in Samaria, right, hated each other. Hated each other. Because the Samaritans in the history of their people had uh, intermarried with non-Jews. And that intermarried people had created a hybrid religion kind of like Jew and Jewishness and paganism, hybrid. So in Samaria, where the Samaritans, the Jews looked down on them, the Jews hated them because they weren't pure. They weren't pure in their race and they weren't pure in their religion. So what would happen if I'm a Jew and I want to go from here to there, most of the Jews would actually take the coast route or they would go east because they didn't even want to step In Samaria. Because many of them thought they would be ceremonially unclean to even step. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do. They wouldn't even walk through their land. So it's interesting because Jesus says, the Bible says, he had to pass through Samaria.
1: Why did he have
0: to? He didn't really have to. There were three routes. Why would it say that he had to pass through Samaria? Well, we're going to see that he had to pass through Samaria because there were Samaritans that needed the Messiah. There was a woman at a well that he was going to meet. There were people in her village that needed Messiah. So in that sense, he had to go, right? Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I think about that for us here, 10 years into the well, and now we're kind of an established church in the valley. I wonder if we still have that passion to seek and save the lost. Because if we're not careful, let's be honest, we can get real comfortable. Right? We, we have our route to church and our route home. I kind of take the same one. Right? 99% of the time, I leave the lot and I go left. Every once in a while, I go right. And then I make a right. Just because... But I can get home on autopilot now. How many of you can get somewhere from here to home on autopilot? Like, oh, I'm here already. And we miss all the people in the arcade. We miss, you know, neighbors. We're just, we just zone out. And our, our vision to seek and save the lost kind of wanes over time. Right? And here's Jesus with every reason to go around. He says, no, I have to go through there. And and I want to encourage you, if you make yourself available for the Lord and if your heart is open to compassion and love for the lost, here's the great encouragement. You might end up ministering and you might end up somewhere that you never thought you would end up. And you might even have people say to you, what are you doing there? Why are you talking to them? You know we don't go there. You know we don't mix with them. You know, and I've shared with you when I was a youth pastor in San Diego, I grew up from a middle class, sort of upper middle class family, very comfortable, uh, straight A student, honor roll, all that kind of stuff. I went through that high school world, go to UCLA. I go through that college world. I go to um, San Diego and I ultimately serve at at a church in San Diego that draws kids from all over San Diego. And here's the crazy thing. I find myself at one point driving 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes one way to pick up kids from a group home, like kids who have been arrested, gangbangers, kicked out of their house, those kind of kids. I never, (laughs)
1: they're
0: like, they told me, can you go pick up these kids from here? I'm like, what? Go where? No, they're group home kids. They want to come to church. It's like 45 minutes in El Cajon. We're in Claremont. Can you go get them and then bring them home? Right. Uh, OK. I mean, and, I mean, high school ministry and miles gives you the names of two uh, African-American guys who want to come to church. They live in southeast San Diego. We go around <laughs> growing up. We had no reason to go to southeast San Diego. It's not our community. It's the it's the part of San Diego that if you're not from there, you don't really have any reason to go there. That's just the way it was. But I had to go into the heart of it, into an apartment complex. And I remember the first time I'm driving in, and you go into the apartment complex. It's the apartment complex where they know you don't belong there. You don't live there, and every eye is on you. And I'm like, "Uh, hey, uh, is is Tommy here? (laughs) Yeah, let me go get him. And then I had to bring Tommy home. And and it just as a reminder that when you have compassion for the lost, when you make yourself available, God's going to use you. Mm-hmm. But you better be prepared that he's not going to use you on your terms. Yeah. He's going to send you where he needs you to go. And by golly, he'll protect you. And, and you use your reason and your skills. And you know you're not, You don't be silly about it. But are you seeking and saving the lost at the place where you're so open? Like, okay, send me even if it's Samaria to them. They're Samaritans. Right. It's crazy. And so he has this conversation. So in in verse seven, it says a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here's the interesting part. Usually women would draw water either morning or at dusk. So this one woman is coming at noon, at noon, right, by herself. And it's really interesting because usually the well in that community was a gathering place. It's the well. It's where the community gathers and you catch up, you socialize as you're drawing the water, right? But she's coming by herself. And some, some uh, people have looked into this. There were actually wells closer to the city that she could have been. But she's coming by herself to a well that's farther away than other wells. And we learn later maybe why. Because she's got a bit of a reputation and maybe a social outcast because of the choices in her life. Right? So she comes out here to draw water by herself at noon. Jesus engages her. Now, you're like, oh, that's cool. Jesus talked to her. No, you have no idea what this meant. Jesus was breaking every rule in the book by talking to her, right? There were walls that he was like pounding through. Religious wall. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jews hate Samaritans. Jews have nothing to do. He just went barreling through a religious wall. Racial wall. They're not pure Jews. I shouldn't even... I I look down on you. Right? Gender wall. He, He... for a man to speak to a woman in that culture? Crazy. Right? And then Jesus says, give me a drink. You know how crazy that was? It was like he, what he was saying was, hey, can you draw some water and I'll drink from your utensil. For a Jew to share a utensil from a Samaritan was a sin. You're like unclean. So this little, the, don't miss what is happening here. Jesus, seeking and saving the lost crushes, destroys all the social norms. Religious, racial, gender barriers. He says, no, I'm going to talk to this person. And I wonder, even in that example, what prevents us from reaching out? Do we look down on some people? Do we have our own walls? I can't go talk. No. <sighs> Who are they? No. Are, we, are we hardened To certain people that need Jesus? Are we callous? Have we bought into societal do's and don'ts that prevent us as believers from taking the ultimate good news to people who without Jesus are lost forever? Are we that callous? Right? Jesus is blowing it all up right here. In one conversation, he is blowing up tradition discrimination barriers he's just blowing it up right and it's interesting because he has this conversation with her about living water now living water in that culture is generally water that wells up and is running water from a spring or a river or a stream that's what they would say living water right and so this this woman is trying to see, well, Living water, okay, spring water, better than stagnant water in a well. What would happen is the well water would collect, and after a while, you know, it gets kind of stagnant, right? So she's, her interest is peaked. She's like, oh, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good, right? And in fact, he says, the water I give, you're never going to thirst again, and there's eternal life. Crazy, right? And she catches it, sort of. She's still trying to figure it out. She's like, hey, okay, I want some of that. Because I'm tired of being thirsty, and I'm tired of coming to the well to draw. She's still kind of physical. She's still trying to process it through the physical understanding, physical thirst, physical labor to draw the water. She's still trying to figure out, what do you really mean by living water here, man? Right? And, and it's really interesting because in Jeremiah 2.13, right? Eileen, we'll go ahead and put that up. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, Jesus is, he's talking spiritual. He's like, hey, I know your real need here. Your real need is for living water, which is me. He's trying to have this spiritual conversation. He's hes, he's engaged her with conversation that she would understand the well, got that, got that. But he's really going spiritual. He's trying to paint a picture for her, right? And then in verse 16, she says this. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus presents this incredible opportunity for spiritual living water, never thirst again, eternal life. And she's like, okay, give me that, give me that. And he's like, hey, by the way, call your husband. He shifts gear and he basically says, I know your story. I know your story. You've had five and the one you're living with right now isn't even your husband, right? Why is that important? Because as we present the good news to people, there's an element of, of truth that we need to speak, their need. their need for forgiveness, conviction of really what, what's going on in their life. Jesus knew what was going on in her life. Jesus knew that she was searching for happiness, for fulfillment. Her sister in that broken cistern picture, it was through people and through certain things, right? The pursuit of happiness, always, always, five times didn't work. This time it's not even her husband. She's searching, searching, searching. Jesus calls her out and says, hey, I know your life story. I know the choices you're making, right? He's trying to get her a place of conviction, of admission, of honesty before him, right? And it's really interesting. She has this very interesting reaction. In verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Right? How else would you know my story? She's, she's, she's stunned. She's never met the guy before. He's, how do you know my deal? How do you know that much detail about me? Right? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So here's the thing. He presents this offer, then he calls her out, Creates this real uncomfortable sort of sense of conviction, like, dude, really? Ugh. And then, kind of, in order to deflect it, she gets religious. She gets religious. Oh, you're a prophet. So, answer me this, uh, Pastor. Where should we worship? Should we rest at, at Redemption, First Baptist, or here? <laughs> right? What's the best way? Where should we externally do religion? See, she's called out in her heart. It's a heart issue. And she wants to make it religion. So what's the best way to practice religion, pastor? Where should we go? She makes it all external. That's what she's trying in that deflection. The the Samaritans, we go to Mount Gerizim. The Jews say Jerusalem. Uh, You're a prophet. Tell us which religion is the right one. She wants to make it about religion and externals. And Jesus' whole conversation about worshiping in spirit and truth is basically this. He's saying, hey, it's not about externals. It's a heart issue. That's basically what he's saying. She tries to deflect it to external religion, and Jesus says it's about spirit and truth. The new covenant is about relationship with Jesus. It's about relationship. Do you know him? Do you know him? And yet, sometimes in our life... When we get convicted and we're, we're trying to work through things, we want to get religious. Oh, I really do need to start going to church. Oh, I really do need to start reading my Bible. Oh, I really should go Tuesday night. Oh, I really should. I really should. Nothing wrong with those in and of themselves, except if you're avoiding. Except if you're doing all of that to avoid the real heart issue. And that's something you have to really seek the Lord. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it as a distraction? Are you trying to run? It's like crazy. We can run from God by getting busy in the church. You can try to run from God at church. That's what she's doing. Tell me which one, which, which religion is right. I'll do that. He's like, it's not about doing. It's about your heart. It's spirit and truth. That's what he's talking about, right? And then she has this moment, right? Right? In John 4, 27, says, Just then his disciples came back. All right? So he's talking to her. His boys come back. They had been buying food. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Then in verse 39, She has this interaction. Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. At some point, she has a faith moment. She goes back to her village, her town, and starts telling everyone. And based on her testimony, they all come out and they hear Jesus. And then they get to a point where like, hey, Samaritan woman, we believe because we heard him for ourselves. Question, based on this story, how much do you need to know to share your faith? How much do you need to know to get people to come to Jesus? Ah, he told me everything about me. I read that, and that's pretty crazy. She has a faith moment with Jesus. She understands who he is. She understands her need, and she right away goes and tells people. She didn't go to Tuesday night Bible study first. She didn't go to a new believer class. Right. And she didn't go to seminary. She didn't read, you know, a book first. Ten ways to share your faith. Right. What's crazy in the church is you get saved. You get excited for Jesus. And then if inadvertently we can tell you sit here for two years. And we'll tell you how to do it now. And in two years you have no more non-Christian friends. In two years you're scared of the world. And then in two years after all your training we send you out. We've got to go to Libby Park? And we go to, to go talk to people? You live here for crying out loud. What are you scared of? But that's what we do in the church. I love this story. There's so much freedom in here. She meets Jesus and she just goes and tells people about Jesus. Those those people, she's used as a great tool and instrument to get those people themselves to hear Jesus. I bet there's people in this community that God wants to use you bring to Jesus. And it might be you having these conversations and it might be this, you inviting someone here so they can meet Jesus here. How many have invited, how many of you consistently have been inviting people here? Okay. We are going to have an invite a friend to church day (laughs) and some of you are going to be scared to death. Some of you are going to be scared to death and you're going to have to work out why you're so scared to invite your neighbor to church. I mean that some of you your already hearts are already hard to racing. You want me to what? Huh? Uh, uh. Why why don't we not not for the sake of the well, not for not to make me feel better, but for them to meet Jesus? Cuz if they come here, we're committed to the word of God. We we want to just be a part of God's kingdom where you feel comfortable continuously in the valley inviting people and maybe picking them up and bringing them here so that they meet Jesus. That's that's what I love about this story. She's like... I mean, just her example is kind of a great conviction for all of us long-timers. Right? Are we still out there seeking and saving the lost? So we will do this. I was sharing with... uh, I think it was was Vinny or something. This year, we are going to create Sunday mornings designed to invite a friend to church. Specifically. We want you to get out there, and it'll be a welcome to church, it'll be a gospel-centered morning, might have special things out there. We want to make you m- even more comfortable inviting people here, knowing what they're going to get. We understand that that sometimes it's like, oh, what's going to happen at the church? Is it going to be overwhelming? Is it too much? No. We will work together and pray together so that on some Sundays, we as a church family will be very proactive in bringing the community here to meet Jesus. Amen? I mean, let's just do it. Let's get out of the boat and let's go places and invite people that we normally don't communicate with or whatever. And let's just be creative. And by golly, let's see what God does in 2020. As we follow her example of just going into the town. (laughs) Going into town and telling people all that Jesus did in our life. And inviting them to come meet him. Right? And I think about this, and and I said, okay, we're a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of like Samaritan women. We all have our stories. We've met Jesus in different ways. Jesus is still working on us. And and I thought, you know what, today let's hear a story of someone who met Jesus. Let's hear a story of someone's story about meeting Jesus, how they met him, and and what Jesus has been doing, in this case, in his life. So um, I'm going to invite Jordan up. You guys know Jordan he's been up here kind of regularly lately, but I wanted you to get a chance to hear his story of how he met Jesus and what, he, what following Jesus has meant for him.
1: Yes, uh, I have quite a story, um, and you know I see a lot of you, and I, I know I've shared some of my story uh, before. I, I've shared a little bit in the past. Um, you know I've, I'm originally from Iowa I'm not a California. Well, I guess I'm a California boy now. Um, <laughs> And I've been here for probably two and a half years, and I've been in California for about three, three and a half or so. And uh, you know, actually, you know, when Richie asked me to share. I was, I was kind of inspired by uh, a sermon from the other day about David and Goliath. And he, you know, he's encouraging the Israelites. He's like, well, yo, like I encountered a bear. God delivered me from the bear. Same thing with the lion. So the same thing is going to be with Goliath. He's going to do the same. And so I kind of wanted to share, you know, really my encounter with Jesus and then some, you know, lion and bear moments for me uh, that have been really encouraging to me in my faith. And, you know, I think about the whole 10-year thing of the church. um, And Richie actually asked a question at the beginning of January, like, where were you 10 years ago? Like, how has your life changed? And that was really fascinating to me because 10 years ago I didn't know Jesus. Um, So my life has changed a lot and I've been on this crazy roller coaster and it's just been uh, an adventure. And, you know, just thinking about the different lions and bears and all that, it it doesn't seem like an adventure in it. It feels like you're you're dying. Uh, At least that's how it was for me, because I was just stretched in a lot of ways. And so for me, uh, I came to know Jesus in kind of an unconventional way. Uh, My brother, uh, God really spoke to him. Um, and I think it was late 2011. And I was just kind of in the blast zone of his of what he was learning. So you know he's very fresh. And then I was like, oh, uh, I've never considered that. And that's really how I heard the gospel. And for me, that uh, it just it just made sense. And maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. It just kind of clicks. And you're like, whoa. Before I, I've, I've heard the gospel before because we went to Methodist church when I was little, but it never it never penetrated my heart. And so that's really where it started. And uh, for me, I, I just got really involved in uh, reading a lot. I was heavily into reading, volunteering, doing it all. And that kind of um, kind of reveals my, some uh, like a weakness of mine, which is trying to earn God's favor. And so I knew uh, that that wasn't right. You know, grace it's unmerited favor. I can't earn my way with God. And, um, and so a couple stories uh, just to kind of, you know, really show God's goodness. Um, and they both involve YWAM or Youth with a Mission. I know some of you are familiar with that because, you know, we do the house builds. And so we actually did a house build as a church. And what's unique about this story is uh, I actually lost my passport at home. So I had to get a new one in San Diego. And we actually drove out there on a bus and a bus going through the mountains in Colorado is bad news because it broke down a lot. Like, we would have to stop, and they'd have to cool down for 10 minutes, and then we'd keep going for five miles. And so I had an appointment to get to, and I was going to be late. So what do they do? They're like, oh, let's take this young guy and, you know, send him out on a plane by himself, uh, which he's never done, and, you know, just let him browse and hang out in San Diego by himself. Uh, and so that was huge for me, and that freaked me out. Because I've never done anything like that. And, um, you know, for me, uh, I'm a, like I said, I'm a people person. I'm up here. I get to do connection stuff. And I was promised that um, I would have someone go with me on the plane. And I was like, yes. And you mentioned about, you know, we kind of like things to be in our understanding. So for me, I was like, I'm okay with that because I got someone there. Well, uh, they didn't go with me. And I was like, man. And this is like, so this was the first big experience for me with God and like him stretching my faith. And then they, they said, oh, well, when you get there, we'll have someone pick you up. And I was like, all right, this is this is all right. And I call him. He's like, no, I can't make it there because he didn't. I guess he didn't get the message. And so I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, well, you have to get a taxi. I'm Like, how do you hail a taxi? I don't. And so I had to ask someone how to get a taxi, and she was very sweet, and that was a weird taxi ride, and so, so all this was just, it was only 14 hours, and it literally felt like a week after I'd finished, and so I'd gone, I got my passport, I almost lost it again, uh, I looked in my bag, and I was like, oh no, uh, and I put it in another pocket, because I was trying to think ahead, I, I don't know, and I ended up having to get on a train to, to up, up the ocean side, and that was just, you know, I'd never done that. I had to ask where to get all the tickets. And so God was just really stretching me. And now it's funny because now that I'm out here and doing life here, like that's actually part of what I do for my job. I, I travel. I, I, I'm i on site with customers, talking to them. And so it's, so when I kind of look backwards at God's faithfulness, you know, I'm really encouraged by that in just kind of a practical way. Um, and then and another kind of, You know, the other YWAM story, this was a little more severe for me. This was more of a Goliath, and and it lasted for about three and a half years. And even lasted until I came out here. And, um, you know, this was a very sincere prayer of mine before it happened, because I was, like, pursuing Jesus. I wanted to know him. And uh, I don't recommend this unless you really mean it. But I was like, God, I I love you. I want to pursue you. And so challenge me on this trip. And um, and he definitely did for the trip and three years after. Um, and really what he was challenging to me was my, um, really me trying to earn his, his love, earn his grace. And just through a lot of things, like I said, early on in my walk with Jesus, I was reading a lot. And I was never like that before in my life. I, was, I always just saw myself as very simple-minded. I didn't wonder about life. And so that changed when I met Jesus and I, like I said, I read a lot and I was in a lot of books and I became very heady. And, you know, through that, that experience, it was great looking back now, um, but it was pretty terrible in the midst of all that. And um, it actually wasn't until uh, when I was out here and we did a sermon series on grace uh, that I was so worn out. I was so just done. Because over those three years, I just quit reading. I quit. I quit serving, and I—I I mean, I felt like a—like, am I even a Christian? Uh, and it was just—it was very overbearing. And then so you know, the we did a series on grace, and I was like, well, what do I got to lose? And I—that was literally the the most transformative time of my life, which was just last you know, 2018. And. God really set me free in a lot of ways because, like I said, I was so about performance. I was afraid of failing. Um, the, I know a phrase has been said around here like it's easy for us to play to not lose instead of playing to win. And so for me, I was always like, I, like, I can't mess up. And I was just, I brought, was brought to a point where I was like, whatever, what, what do I got? And that was probably the best moment in my life with God because it wasn't just this. For me, He really showed himself and revealed himself in my heart. And, I mean, you can only really know that when you experience it. I can't, like, say how good it is, but it was very transformative. And, um, but I was still troubled because I was like, well, why did I, what were those three years about? Because it seemed like, 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 what happened? That just seems like it was in vain. I'm like, I just went and did three years of hard. All of a sudden now I'm, I'm okay. And uh, I know he doesn't owe me. A response similar to Job. He didn't owe Job why he went through all that suffering, um, but it happened uh, with a conversation with someone at Taco Bell. I don't even know how we got onto it, but I just came to realize that you know if we try to live by all the rules and all of this, and it's very much law driven, that um, we've just become very much robotic, and we were bound by this weight and this burden to always perform. And, you know, I, I look back on those three years. I was like, you know, this is kind of my imagery of it is God was really tilling up my heart. And I was fighting it the whole way. And so I'm like, you know, he just revealed this to me. He's like he lovingly brought me through this this huge season of challenge to bring me to a point where I would receive his grace. And. I mean. That's a hard three years and I wouldn't wish anyone to go through that. But I look back at, at it now, it just and seeing kinda of in the rear view mirror of God's faithfulness. Um, and still loving me, still taking care of me, even though I was probably wailing the whole way. I mean, I, actually I was. Um, and you know, I look back at that and I was like, Man, that's and that, that's helped me in a lot of ways now. Although I would like to say I've never I, I'm I'm free of you know, having a hard time with grace. Uh, but I'm back at it again. And, you know, a couple months ago I just started to wrestle and I'm like, I cannot do this. I can't do another three years in prison because that's really what it was. And not long after, like, I feel like God nudged me and he's like, you asked for this too. And I was like, oh yeah, because I was praying with, uh, I was actually praying with Shiloh and we were just talking about stuff and I was like, God, humble us. <laughs> and I'm like, duh, like I'm, how do you think he humbles you? You know, like through hard stuff. And so I, I actually been, I'm not really out of it. I'm kind of in the middle of, I still, it's more like a desert, you know, when we have the high highs and the low lows. And, um, actually Richie asked me lately, like, well, what's God been teaching you? And I'm just like, man, like it's been hard. Um, so, but you know, he's really been teaching me patience in trials. And for someone like me, who's very analytical, and Bill likes to remind me of that at least every Sunday, um, when things don't go right, I get really uh, maybe possessive, like I want to control, I want to make sure it's right, and uh, I tend to freak out if, you know, I'm like, especially at work, man, when stuff doesn't go right, it it just, it grinds my gears. And um, so with this, you know, I just, in this season of life, I feel like God is really Um, helping me to kind of be steady and just even my my walk with him and trust him, even though it's not like, you know, awesome. But it's more of a, just a very solid, it feels more solid for me. And so I kind of want to just end, you know, that's my story. That's a brief, huge overview of me. Um, You know, and I've only been out here for two and a half years or been to the well. And so when I came to the wall, I was in a pretty messy place. And so, uh, you know, just thinking about the whole 10-year thing of the church, and I've only been here a short time, I've I've really benefited a lot from you guys um, just having conversations with, like, Mark and Bill and Richie and just being loved on, even though I was just, you know, going through it. And so I just want to say thank you guys for being the church uh, and, you know, you know, loving on some weird dude from Iowa. Um, you know? And uh, so this is just a cool part of my story, and I'm thankful to be a part of the Wells story and uh, really just excited to see what God's going to do maybe 10 years from now, you know, and have more stories to share of how he is just continually showing his goodness and faithfulness. So thank you guys for listening.
0: Thank you, Jordan. The Samaritan woman had a moment with Jesus. And here's the, here's the interesting part of the story. Uh, if you remember, Jesus says, hey, if you knew who, who, who you are talking to, you would ask. He's offering the gift before he let, let her know that he knew about her. You understand what I'm saying? The power in that? He knew her story. He knew about the five husbands and the one she was living with. But before any of that came out of his mouth, he had offered her salvation. He had offered her living water all the while knowing her story. We tend to flip it. We may point fingers and become condemning and then try to present the good news. See, we have to be really careful. The gospel is good news. And when you present the good news, you're not condoning anyone's behavior. But be very careful that you're not condemning them before the good news. The conviction and their, their need, their true spiritual need, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing them to their true spiritual need, their true, Lord, I need you. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's for God to work in their heart. We get the joy of saying, hey, you want living water? We get the joy of bringing people to Jesus. We're not minimizing sin. We're not condoning sin. But sometimes the church goes overboard in being too condemning. And the good news just gets washed out. Well, they need to know they're sinners. They need to repent. They, yeah, they do. But let God do that. We're not, we're not um, minimizing the sin issue. We're not candy coating sin. We're not condoning sin. But sometimes the way we present the living water good news, they don't even hear the good news. Because all they're seeing and hearing from us is anger and condemnation. And we wonder why they don't want to come to church. We wonder why they say no to the very thing they need, the living water. Right? I love that. He says, hey, here's living water. You'll never be thirsty. Eternal life. And by the way, (laughs) wink, wink, I know what's going on in your life. That's crazy. Imagine how she felt. Really, for me? That's available for me? And you knew all along what I was doing and you knew all along my current living situation and you still offered me living water first before the laundry list of how bad of a person I was you gave me this offer do you see that moment of grace you see how that overwhelms people with grace God does know and God still loves you and God still offers you salvation today he knows just receive ask him just receive. And here's the crazy thing. Like Jordan and like so many others in this room, you're just gonna begin a journey with him. You're just gonna start with him. Uh, pastor Michael's been here, and he used to be a pastor in Orange County, and someone asked Pastor Michael, he said, Hey, why do you guys at your church? Why do you have ashtrays in front of your church? Are you guys condoning smoking? Right? And this is what Pastor Michael said. He said, No. We understand that people will come to church who do smoke. That's why they're out there. But we trust that once they come to know Jesus, that God will work on the conviction about taking care of their temple as they walk. It's an inside out. We just acknowledge where they are today. And they let sanctification, they believe if they'll trust Jesus and this person comes to know Jesus, over time, Jesus will work it out. They're not hung up on having ashtrays as condoning smoking. No, we just know you smoke. Here's a place to put your cigarette butt before you go in. You see that? I love that heart of the gospel because it's meeting people in reality. You don't have to get all cleaned up first and then receive the living water. No, Jesus met her at the well. Noon, it was hot. Everyone knew her story. He met her right where she was and offered her living water. And her story began. And then, by golly, an hour later, she's used to bring other people to faith.
1: That's right.
0: Powerful, powerful story. Powerful encouragement for us as a church. Powerful encouragement for you individually. He knew your story, and he still does. Receive his grace. Thank you, Jordan, for the reminder. Receive his grace. And just follow him one day at a time. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We do celebrate our at the well moments with you, Jesus. And it's more than one. Sometimes we have a really big moment and we remember that as our time we came to faith and sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes we meet you several times at the well and then finally it all clicks. And then even after we put our faith, even after we're saved, we walk with you and there are still at the well moments. Where you call us out on things in our life, decisions we're making. And it's not out of condemnation, it's out of love. It's those moments at the well where it's like, hey, why are you still searching? Why are you still seeking broken cisterns? Why are you still seeking the things of the world? You're my child. I love you. Why are you still seeking those things? Come to me, living water. Every day, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, welling up. Come to me. Come to me. I am the source of living water. I am living water. And so this morning, Jesus, thank you. We come to a place called the well because we love you. And we need times at the well with you and with the church family. No one in this room has it all together. And so my prayer is for those maybe today here or those listening. Maybe it's your at-the-well moment of salvation. He is Messiah. He knows your story. He offers you living water. Receive it by faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Receive the living water, the gift of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And maybe you're saved and maybe you've been out there searching and trying to fill up your cisterns and it's cracked and the water keeps leaking out because you've drifted away from the source of living water, Jesus himself. So just come back to Jesus. Just come back to Jesus. Just love him. Let him love you. Let him teach you about grace. He knows your story. And he loves you. He loves you, and so Father, we uh, we are celebrating that. We look forward to many years, Lord willing, together as a church family, doing life together in Christ, united in Christ, united in our strong, strong foundation of the Word of God. Here, we are united in Christ. So thank you, and Father, I think about this song that we're about to sing. It, it it's an affirmation of what we believe. It's an affirmation that that our true identity comes through who we are in Christ as revealed in the Word of God. So as we sing this song, we sing it, Father, as a declaration of our faith. Our faith. A declaration of who we are in Christ. A declaration of our part in the body of Christ. Father, we sing the creed to you.